0: In the box, ready to go. We be fast
1: and baby slow. And baby slow. When I was a kid, I used to thought they said. And baby slow. What does baby slow have to do with? I have that? no idea, but when I was a kid and they said baby slow, I was like baby slow. In the box, ready to go.
0: We be fast and baby Baby slow. slow. <laughs> Best thing I've ever heard. I wish that was it (laughs) now. Just to confuse everyone. Oh, goodness
1: gracious. Goodness gracious.
0: Holy
1: smokes. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I don't even know what I can't believe what I can believe. All I know is I'm watching movies and believing everything that I see. Um, I watched Ambulance.
0: Oh, Ambulance was great. I enjoyed the heck out of that movie. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. So good. Right now I'm on this, like, kick where anything better than Morbius is, like, amazing.
1: Yes. Morbius is awful. Morbius was one of the worst movies ever made.
0: There's a lot of questions that I have for that, but maybe we should do a podcast about the horribleness of... Morbius. Morbius.
1: The horribleness of Morbius.
0: Horribleness of Morbius.
1: I was trying to make it rhyme.
0: I know, me too.
1: It's so stupid.
0: Uh, but it works. It's What you said was better than the whole movie of Morbius.
1: Wow. yeah, That's insane. I don't even yep. know what to say about that. You say thank you. Thank you. And you're welcome. (laughs)
0: Oh, man. I'm actually really excited about doing this one.
1: This one. This one. This this particular movie is an interesting one. It was, hmm, yes, yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's not really much you can say about it. Okay,
1: maybe. All right. Just maybe we should start this podcast now. Ha. Fantastic. Let's do it. Hello everybody. I am Joey Parr, editor-in-chief of guitar.com. I am your host of Secret Level Level Level. And joining me today is the spectacular Billy the Bearded Barbarian. Yeah.
0: Oh, you sound like Ludo. Yeah.
1: Ludo. Was such a good... And on the this balls episode. Labyrinth.
0: What? I said there's lots of balls in the labyrinth. <laughs> it's true.
1: Okay. All right. Go ahead. No worries. And in this episode, we are going to discuss the classic 1985. Disney fantasy adventure film, The Black Cauldron. Dang it, that was a great intro. It was a great intro. It was. Now, I saw this movie when I was a kid, and it's one that kind of stuck with me over the years because it was a cool Disney movie. Like it was for a kid in the 80s this was just awesome this was my introduction to dungeons and dragons and fantasy and all these crazy cool like dragons and uh sorcery and wizards and that was just super fun and it was done in like kind of a darker way than some of the previous disney films but kind of not really like Everyone says that the Bat Black Cauldron was the d- darkest Disney movie and that they tried to bury it because it was so dark. But I'm like, did they see Snow White? Did they watch Pinocchio? Because those are nightmarish horror films. <laughs> right. Compared to the to the Black Cauldron. I
0: think it was because and I'm we're gonna get into this, but I think it's because there was no fun musical moments in it.
1: Sure, it wasn't a musical. It was the first no. time Disney had made an animated movie that wasn't a musical for kids. I mean, this one they wanted to target young teens. Like that was their target market when they made this movie. Right. So What you think about the
0: success is not to them.
1: But this was a complete nightmare of a production of every person involved. It just, this thing almost put Disney animation under. Like, it almost destroyed it because it just, I mean, it was tearing the company apart. I mean, the development of this animated film was such a disaster Uh that there needs to be a movie based on the making Of this film.
0: (laughs) I mean, yes, we're definitely going to get into that part.
1: It was, it's, it's a fascinating behind the scenes story. And it's been a long time since I've revisited The Black Cauldron. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. I just remembered certain aspects of it, Mm -hmm. but it's a movie I didn't revisit often. It wasn't even out on video on VHS until... Like the 90s, right? It was like the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, it was deep into the 90s because when
0: I was a kid, I asked for it on VHS. And all my parents could find was the video game. So that was my first introduction to the Black Cauldron was on my Atari computer, the Black Cauldron, the video game.
1: Okay, yeah. So just real quick. It The first video release didn't happen until 1998. Right. That's how long Disney, like, kept this thing locked up for. They did not want to share it with the world. It was in the vault of the Disney vault.
0: Right. (laughs)
1: Which is strange to me
0: because I bought the video game. The video game was more readily available
1: than the movie. Well... Have you, I mean, I know you watched the movie recently, but did you yeah. watch it when you were a kid too? Or do you remember it? Or what? what what's your story okay. there?
0: So I remember it being on the Disney Channel back when the Disney Channel was free and it was on just basic cable. And I was, what, seven, seven years old-ish? Okay. And I just remembered that the Horned King scared me so bad The main bad guy.
1: Yeah, I know. Played by John Hurt. freaking love the Horned King, though. Like, I thought that was the most badass, villainous character ever. Exactly. I thought he was still epic. Yeah, he was, man. I was like, I want to be the Horned King for Halloween. That would have been...
0: Okay, so before we get into (laughs) this, because I really want to get into this, do you have the synopsis of the
1: Black Cauldron? Of course. Of course I do. Of course. I'll, I'll read it for you. I'll read it for you right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. In the land of Prydain, a lily pig herder, Taran, dreams of becoming a gallant knight. Young Taran receives his heroic calling when the evil horned king kidnaps Henwyn, a prophesying pig that has been entrusted to Taran. Now, with the help from his furry sidekick, Gurgi and Princess Elowen, Terran must locate the magical black cauldron before the Horned King is able to use his mystical powers to summon an army of the undead. Fantastic. Was fantastic. The movie was directed by Ted Berman and Richard Rich. Richard Rich? Richard Rich. Classic. It is classic. They went on the direct movies such as what?
0: Ted Berman did The Fox and the Hound, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, The Rescuers, you know, classic Disney films.
1: Yes. Classic Disney films. Yes.
0: And Richard Rich did, well, he was with him for The Fox and the Hound, but he also did some uh, um, more recent stuff.
1: Yeah, like What? Well,
0: go for it. The offshoots of like The Swan Princess, but he also was a part of the Alpha and Omega animated features.
1: Nice.
0: That's pretty much it. It looks like after that, after he did the Black Cauldron, he kind of struck out on his own and did some some of his own stuff. He did the animated Book of Mormon.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. All right. But That's what he, yeah. He did the Black Cauldron. He uh, broke away from Disney and kind of did
1: his own thing. Well, after you hear the story of the Black Cauldron, you'll find out why he probably left Disney. <laughs> the whole thing was just a miserable experience. Nice. But, All right. Billy, yes, we forgot our pleasantries.
0: Ah, we did. We got so excited about The Black Cauldron. We did. Our first Disney movie on the Secret Level podcast. What did you do this week? What kind of amazing things did you get into?
1: Nothing crazy amazing. I've been sucked into Elden Ring a lot, spending countless amounts of free time that I don't have on that. And uh, it's probably not good. I'm losing sleep. I I, I don't get as much work done as I should. My concentration Mm -hmm. has been off. Because all I can think about is beating some of these creatures that pop up in Elden Ring. And it just drives me crazy. I'm even dreaming about it now, and (laughs) I should probably take a break, but I don't want to. I don't want to because I'm sucked in. Stupid Elden Ring got me. And this is the thing. Like, I haven't played video games in a long time. Like, I took a break forever on video games, and Elden Ring came along and took my life away again. (laughs) Uh, I laugh because I'm right there with you. And I'm just like, freak. But but uh, I don't want to get crazy into it because there's so much to discuss discuss and talk about. Maybe one day we'll just dedicate a whole 500 episodes to Elden Ring. But right now, uh, that's what you're going to get from me. However, I do want to bring up a movie that I recently watched that I have not seen in years. Uh, I recently popped up on Amazon Prime Video. And this is my favorite Anthony Hopkins movie. To me, this is Anthony Hopkins' best film role. And I really loved him in Hearts in Atlantis, though, too.
0: That's what I thought you were going to say. But
1: no, it's not Hearts in Atlantis. It's called The World's Fastest Indian. And if you have never seen this movie, it's a little indie film called The World's Fastest Indian. You are missing out on a wonderful performance, a charming film that tells a great story. You have to watch it. It's based on a true story of a New Zealander who travels from New Zealand to the Salt Flats of Utah to take this old 1920 Indian motorcycle that he's rebuilt, and he's perfected it and souped it up to the point. uh, His whole goal was to get there so he could break the land speed record for fastest motorcycle and he does it and it's amazing the whole story is just like incredible how th- and he's 68 years old when he did this crap man this guy's my inspiration yeah I think so if you've never seen this movie, movie i i just i'm putting it out there right now go watch the world's fastest indian because you're going to love it 100 percent guaranteed you're gonna watch this movie and you're gonna fall in love with it And it's got Bruce Greenwood in it. It's also got Walton Goggins. And it's just fantastic.
0: Nice. I haven't thought about that movie in a long
1: time. Yeah. Me either until it popped up on my radar again. I was like, yeah, that movie. I like that movie. And then I watched it and I'm like, yeah, that movie. I love that movie. And now I'm like, I have to talk about that movie on this podcast. And so I'm talking about it. So there you go. Ah, I like it. I promoted an old 2005 film Sorry, uh, Sorry, Hop- Anthony Hopkins.
0: That's what we're all about, though. It's true. We're, we're talking about our favorites. Maybe one day it'll make it onto the Secret Level podcast.
1: Maybe. Maybe. Yes. If there are enough good behind-the-scenes stories, I haven't really looked yet, but we'll see. Well,
0: I got sucked into the Elden Ring party as well. The only thing that really distracted me from it is, do you like to play D&D? I like to play D&D. It's something fun that we do. I found these things called skill cards for your specific players that you use. So I've been going through and I've been picking out certain spells that I want to, like, achieve as a ranger. It, If I'm not playing Elden Ring, I'm thinking of things in that world or in that realm of D&D fantasy type of things. So that's what's been kind of consuming me over the last few days.
1: Sure, sure it has. Yeah. I feel time. your pain and and yes. your
0: and your glory at the same yes. time. It it's both. It is <laughs> like I was like, maybe I could slip in a game before we started podcasting, but I knew if I started, I wasn't going to stop. So here we are. We needed to talk about this.
1: Fantastic. Is that all you yeah. want to talk about? You got anything that, that, else?
0: That's it. No, we got a lot to cover. We do, yeah,
1: we do. We gotta country. jump right into it. So here we go. The movie is loosely based on the first two books in Lloyd Alexander's Newbery Medal-winning, acclaimed epic high fantasy book series, The Chronicles of Prydain. Yes, that's what the movie's based on. But at the same time, they use those two books, and then they just kind of did their own thing. Right. <laughs> I'm okay. So it's, I'm currently. It's loosely based. Basically, they took a few characters and then built a story around those characters. Absolutely. So um,
0: I'm currently listening to the audiobook of The Chronicles of Ferdane. There's five books. Yes. And I'm only halfway through the first book, which you could see the connections between the movie and the book, but we're missing major characters in the movie as compared to the book. But that's okay. This watered-down version of the book series just gets your interest in fantasy lore going. Sure. Like, it's great. You you want to learn about this kind of stuff.
1: You know, I didn't know any of this stuff. You know, I didn't know what books were when this movie came out. I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> huh. I, I didn't know what this book series was, obviously, when it came out, because I was like a young kid, whatever, and uh, my parents didn't really read. To me... <laughs> They just took me to movies. I, I'm not complaining. It was right, that's just right. how it was. They just took me to movies. Absolutely. But I I loved the movie. I did, and and there are a lot of things that like stuck out to me growing up. And but then I'm rewatching it now, and there's things that I'm like, uh, that's weird. This is this is a weird thing happening right here. I don't like this part. <laughs> I don't remember this part. I mean, the the most that I remember from that movie is probably mm-hmm. the last 30 minutes. Right. So I'm rewatching it, and I don't remember anything until things get crazy at the end. And then right. I'm like, oh, I remember this. I remember that. Holy crap, that's super scary, and I love it, you know? Yeah. But other than that, yeah, I, that... The first, the first three quarters of that movie was, uh, was very forgettable.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, everything for me, everything but Gergi. Because I remember
1: Gergi a lot, and I always felt like I totally forgot about Gergi. Really, until I started watching it again, and I'm like, oh, oh that thing. I was like, that's right, that that dog like creature that I don't know what it is.
0: Man, it's never explained what Gergi truly is, but he's just there.
1: And he's such a depressing character. Holy crap. Oh, the, man. Gurgi, like, needed some therapy. Hardcore.
0: Serious. He's, like, a super depressed version of Gollum.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that was the only thing I remember from the first part of the film. The rest of it, yeah, it gave me nightmares when I was a child.
1: Yes. Yeah, I, it's funny because when I was watching it, I didn't ask my kids to come watch it with me. I didn't think they'd be interested, but... They they walked into the room when I was watching it and my uh, 16-year-old daughter walks in and is like, I've heard about this movie on TikTok.
0: <laughs> oh, there's TikTok promoting Disney movies. It's
1: like, okay, well, there you go. And I'm like, you want to sit down and watch it with me? She's like, no, nah, I'm good.
0: <laughs> oh, man, I thought you were going to twist that and be like, yep. Nope. No. Nope. That's where we're
1: at. So the production of this movie can be traced back to 1971 when Disney purchased the rights to the book. 1971 okay. is when it started, right? <laughs> it came out in 1985. came out in 1985. It should give you a little... Okay. A little, some little insight and let your imagination go like, whoa, what? Yes. 1971. The movie took over 12 years to make and five of those years, actual production. Okay. So when the movie's in production, five years, it cost over $25 million to make. Wow. Which is That's pricey back chunk, then. Yeah. That's a chunk of change. And the movie was Disney's attempt, like I said earlier, to get those fantasy, teenage fans of fantasy novels and bring them in and make this for them. Okay. Because those novels were popular at the time. That's when D&D was first getting going. And uh, people were like, it's the devil. It's the devil. Don't play Dungeons and Dragons. You'll get sucked into the world of Satan. So this was a big gamble for Disney. Uh And that gamble did not pay off at all. It completely bombed at the box office. It got... Mixed reviews, a lot of negative reviews from critics, and it nearly bankrupted Walt Disney Feature Animation. That's like it, crazy. it was that hardcore of a situation that Disney found themselves in with this movie. Uh-huh. Do you tell? Oh, I'll, I'll I'll get to it for sure, for sure, <laughs> <laughs> because the movie did end up failing. The way it did there were debates among studios if animation was even a viable form of entertainment especially beyond children right uh how can how, how can we start making these movies and no one's gonna watch them like we really right. put in a lot of work and effort into this and then it just didn't pay off and again one of the things like one of the reoccurring th- themes of the background of this film and the production, is it always blames the movie for being dark and graphic? Uh-huh. And I still am like, but there were other dark and graphic elements of films that came before, you know. Yeah, but they were
0: they were tinged with like a uh, lightheartedness, like. But so was the dwarves. But
1: so was this movie, though the whole the whole first. Half of the movie was like that, though. Kind of. I mean, yes, it's lighthearted, but I mean, Terran was an asshole. He was. He was kind of the douchebag character, for sure.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, everybody else had a main character that was lighthearted and, you know... Pinocchio, regardless of the creepy aspect that he's a puppet that came to life, was still lovable. Well, what
1: about the whole point where he turns? Everyone's turning into jackasses, like literally. That that transformation scene is a nightmare from hell. Right, but then you have the cute little puppet that comes walking
0: in, and everybody's, oh look, he's got a cricket friend. Yeah,
1: but then this movie had the cute those those cute little. Fairies, What were those? Fairies, things? Was, yeah, those things were ridiculous. The, the fair folk, the fair folk, but they were they were jerks too. Yeah, I know. Everyone, a lot of jerks in this movie for sure. Yeah, a lot but, of jerks going on. The Black Cauldron was Disney's first full length animated movie to be filmed in widescreen format, as well as in Super Technorama seventy watts. Se- 70-millimeter film process since Sleeping Beauty. Nice. Which is cool. Yeah. You don't get that anymore. Like, Disney's not going to go 70-millimeter again. We're moving on. Moving on. The film was eventually pushed into development thanks to the urging of animation legends Ollie Johnson and Frank Thomas, who were two of Walt's original Nine Old Men. Are you familiar with who the nine old men are, Billy?
0: Yeah, they were his original animators and storytellers from the original animation uh, Disney animation group.
1: That is true. So we can thank them for pushing this movie forward, and everyone who worked on it can thank them for the horrific experience they had working on the movie. (laughs) Exactly. So even though, as we said before, the, the book trilogy was picked up by Disney back in 1971, it wouldn't be until 1980 when the movie would actually be put into into production. There are a few reasons why that's the case. One, the studio at the time had a habit where they would allow one animated movie to be made once every three to four years. With the limited resources they had at the time, they could only produce one animated movie at a time. After an animated movie was done and complete and released in studios, the studio would then put all the resources in financing the production of another animated movie, which would have the best chances of being finished and ready for theatrical release. Crazy. Isn't that a crazy time? Like they were just doing yeah. one, focusing on one thing at a time. You look at Disney now and you see what they are doing with. All of these properties that they have, right? right, even in their animation unit, and you're just it's crazy how much they grow they've grown. and, and you, when you think of the, uh, Disney, you don't think that they were ever really a struggling company, but it's like right, even in the '80s, when they were in there, they were still like like well known and people loved their films and they were still pumping out stuff. They were still like just kind of a struggling. It seems like a struggling startup. It's like, hey, we're still just trying to get another another movie made. We really hope we can get another animated movie done. That's that's kind of the attitude that they had. If this one is successful, we can do it again. And so, when the back Black Cauldron just completely bombed, it's like, oh man, like (laughs) crap. Can we even do this? Again, like, can we make another movie after this? Right. Two, oh, no. it was the studio's decision right from the beginning to only condense the first two Predane books into one single movie, and its title would have its name from the second novel in the, in the trilogy, The Black Cauldron. Because of the numerous storylines and with over 30 characters in the original five novel series, Mm -hmm. Several story artists and animators worked on the development of the movie throughout the 70s, where it was actually originally slated for release in the 1980s. The release date was eventually pushed from 1980 to Christmas of 1984 in order to focus more attention on the completion of The Fox and the Hound. And also due to the animator's inability of animating realistic human characters for this movie.
0: Yeah, they all have that that Bluth style of animation.
1: It was very—it's different from everything else that we saw before, right? Yep. I mean, they were all animal movies. Mm-hmm. There were a few that had humans in the past, though, like *The Sword of the Stone*. Cinderella. Cinderella. I mean, there are Disney movies with human characters in a. Why do they have issues with human I characters? <laughs> and I'm just. You would think
0: they're professional animators. They should be able to animate a human.
1: Yeah. But we're, all things. we're still not even in the meat of this yet. I'm just kind of no. giving you a precursor of what we're going to talk about. This is just kind of a summary, and then we'll get into the details of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the film is a messy combination of plot elements for the first two books from the series. Did you want to hear Disney's official stance on The Black Cauldron? The (laughs) 1970 development period of that movie? Let's do it. Okay. This is their single sentence. This is their official stance. And I quote, several important writers and animators worked on the development of a screenplay through the 1970s. So from 1971... To 1980, they were working on a screenplay. The whole time. They were trying so hard to crack that story and combine the elements of these two books into one single film. Right. Now, this production, Mm -hmm. it ended up representing a huge rift between the studio management of Walt Disney Productions and the newer, less experienced animators of the studio's animation department. Uh-huh. The newer and less experienced animators had always dreamt of working for Disney. They've always wanted to work here. This is like their dream come true. They are getting to work for Disney, and they were very excited to be working on this movie, and they really wanted to prove their talent and their worth by creating a movie that would target back to the glory days of the great Walt Disney storytelling and filmmaking quality. At the same time, they also wanted to push the envelope of what could be accomplished in animation. They were doing experiments. They were trying new things. They wanted to be innovative. But all this excitement that they were feeling, all this energy was destroyed and brought down because they were continually <laughs> being hammered by the old Disney guard, the old studio management. Uh-huh. The original management felt uh-huh. that the animators were spoiled brats and commanded them to follow orders and do oh as they gosh. were told.
0: way to run a business. Yeah,
1: right? And this resulted in a lot of different experiences of creative differences between the two groups. And the final result is that neither of them, not the new excited group or the old strict group, neither of them got what they wanted when this movie was released. Right. They just had to like plow through this madness and they were both feeling it on each sides, be pulled in different directions and they couldn't do what they wanted to do. How frustrating must that have been? Well, I'll tell you, because so many of these <laughs> young animators, they were like, I can't do this. They were quitting Disney and just walking away. It's so crazy. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm excited. Oh, man. But a young Don Hahn, who would go on to produce Beauty and the Beast, and uh, direct he also recently directed the documentary Howard for Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. He worked on the film as a production manager at the time. And when talking about his time there in the past, he said, I remember standing with one of the directors who was in his 60s on the second floor looking downstairs to where the animators were. And he said, Don, do you suspect a drug scene down there? And I said, no, the guys are fine. He said, the anarchy and the energy of artists downstairs wasn't being appreciated or utilized well, and the vibe just hurt the production. Man. So they had all this great talent, and, and these guys thought they were all doing drugs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they did some new stuff, like the green smoke that... Fills the castle at the end. That was yeah.
1: They it was were doing epic. they were doing these crazy cool effects works in right. animation. Never seen before. Yeah. So Han mostly worked for Berman. He was kind of a mediator between all the directors on the film. Um, so he says there were three directors, and the three directors didn't always talk. They basically split up all of these different sequences to direct on the film with each sequence having a completely different tone and tempo. So nothing that they were doing, like all the different styles and stuff, they weren't matching up. The animation, the atmosphere, they were all... It, you can you can see that when you're watching the movie. If you watch it, you can see there's just these very different vibes in certain scenes. You're like, what? This is weird. Mm-hmm. But if you know, obviously, to if you're a regular audience member, you're probably not going to see it, you're either going to like the movie or not. But anyway, that's just one of those things that happened that helped make this movie production a disaster is there's no communication between the people who were directing the movie, they had a mediator working between them. Between them and that there's, yeah, how are you supposed to get a great movie by doing that? Ah, <laughs> oh, <it's> so frustrating. <laughs> Ah.
0: Especially when you have good material that you could be writing a really good movie off of. Yeah. Like, you, when you watch the movie, you could tell there's so much potential for something bigger.
1: You know, they tried to go big, though. You could see the moments where they're like, we're going epic here. We're going to do some awesome stuff. And some of the stuff comes off. But then there's also, like, stuff that was cut out that, helped, that made the story all choppy and stuff. Anyway, okay, we'll get into that. But in 1978, a New York Times article was released, and that article was titled, Disney Film Far Behind Schedule. And that article painted this dark picture of the Black Cauldron. Walt Disney's $15 million animated film scheduled for 1980s is four years behind schedule, the report (laughs) said. (laughs) It will not be completed until Christmas 1984 because the new crop of young animators the studio has spent six years acquiring are not yet competent to handle its complexities. Jeez. Right? So they're just, they're just throwing the young animators under the bus. hmm They're like, it's their fault. Blame the young uns.
0: Wow. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. It it is crazy. It's insane. And you know that the, that you had these old guys, you know, some of the, this older generation people, they're the ones that are telling them this Absolutely. stuff.
0: Absolutely. You know? Absolutely.
1: It's like, "Oh, it's yeah. not our fault. It's because of these young these young kids." And just it, just so you know, like a lot of these a lot of these uh older Studio guys, they're they're in their 70s, right? They're in their right. 70s working with these young, these, these younger animators and artists. And it's just there's no connection there between the two. They just they're not seeing each other's sides. There's just too much of a split in, in time, right? So they right. can't quite get the you know, have that trust that that trust. Yes. And and a lot of these guys, they worked for Walt Disney, right? Right. So Eric Larson, who's one of the old nine men, he was 73 years old at the time when this New York Times article came out. He said, we never get old, never die, never retire. We accepted that, and the studio accepted it. They never looked beyond us. So... Basically what happened is the studio just held on to these guys and until the Black Cauldron came around, they never went and looked outside for other talent. They just right. they just kept these these guys around thinking that they were gonna live forever and be able to pump out these animated films for all time. And they right. never well, looked into that- the future. There's no planning involved.
0: Right. Then well, up until that point they'd been hit makers, but I mean These guys are getting old. You have to come up with some kind of replacement, right?
1: Yeah. Now, one of the younger animators and artists that was featured in the New York Times report was Don Bluth. Don Bluth was brought in to Disney to work on their animated films. And he, and I quote, was considered the most highly regarded of the next generation of Disney animators. In a little over a year, Bluth would throw the company's animation unit and the Black Cauldron along with it into chaos. Yes. (laughs) So Bluth just got in there and he just was like revving up, ready to go, wanted to do his thing. And it just did not work because of the differences. Uh, it's explained that Bluth was also a polarizing figure, and it said some adorned him as the Messiah of Animation, while others thought he was just another Walt wannabe. Huh. That was in the uh, in the narration for the documentary *Waking Sleeping Beauty*, which you can find on Disney Plus, which talks about the 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 dark, turbulent times of the Disney Animation unit. So if you're ever interested in like learning more, go watch that doc if you haven't seen it yet. It's really good. Yes, I'm gonna have to. Even though Bluth had a certain amount of power at the studio, it wasn't enough to save this film. Mm-hmm. In 1970, my, like so he's working on this movie. This he was he was working on this movie in the 70s, right? Right. This is in that right. time where the script was being developed and things, that long stretch of time. In 1979, on Bluth's 41st birthday, he was supposed to be on vacation, but he didn't go on vacation. <laughs> oh no. Instead, Bluth returned to the Disney lot with a group of followers and fellow Disney animators, mm-hmm. and he quit. And he took 14 animators and administrators to start their own company. That was almost half of the staff of the animation department at the Walt Disney Company. Dang it, bro.
0: Dang it. But, I mean, we got the secret of out of it. We've got, you know, we've got Dragon's Lair out of it. Dude, Bluth has
1: done some amazing work, man.
0: Right. Yeah. But he almost, he's the
1: man that almost killed Disney animation. But he's also the guy that, he was successful, but you don't see Don Bluth movies being made anymore. Right. Disney had this staying power. Right. Right? Because they've obviously learned from their mistakes. But Bluth just, he didn't evolve, I guess, with the times and just ended up. You know, we don't see Don, Obviously, we don't see Don Bluth movies anymore. Right. The Exodus led by Bluth. So mm-hmm. when Bluth left and he took everybody out, that caused a ripple effect throughout the entire animation unit. So another animated film that was being developed around that time was The Fox and the Hound. That movie was pushed back an entire year because of that. And the Black Cauldron production ended up on this very basically a standstill nothing was happening with it after he left bluth and his team walked out it's like they they couldn't really do anything at that point Mm -hmm. uh in an interview with the la times bluth explained his exit saying we were just a group who loved animation and felt it had disintegrated into something quite inane we wanted things to work there but it's hard to reshape an old company. It's like trying to bend an old oak.
0: I mean, he's got a point. Yep. They wouldn't get rid of the old animators.
1: They wouldn't let the new ones come in and do what they needed to do, so... And another animator that walked out with Bluth said, If Walt would have been alive, he would have walked out with us. We weren't doing anything there at Disney that he would have liked. Dang it. Right? That shows you the state of Disney. He's like, Walt would walk right out of this place, but I don't think Walt would have. He probably would have fired everybody and then built it back up again. I don't know. Who knows what Walt would have done, but I don't think he'd walk away from his own company. Nah. He just see that there was a big issue, and he would have done whatever it took to fix it. That's what Walt would have, I believe, Walt would have done. Right. After Bluth left, Joe Hale was brought in to produce the movie. And he's the guy that made a ton of creative decisions. He came in and is just like, we're gonna do this, 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 you're doing this, you're doing that. So he was like, felt like he was on top of things when he pushed this thing through. And he was like, We're gonna do it. So that happened in nineteen eighty. That's when the movie actually finally for real went into production, is when Joe (laughs) Hale came on board. Okay. While the film was in production. Uh, Hale actually was giving interviews and talking about the making of the movie, and it was like he so strange because there he knew there was a problem, uh-huh. and you could tell in this in these interviews he gave that like something was wrong. So in this 1983 promotional special called Backstage Disney. This actually previewed the original test footage of Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
0: Great movie.
1: Yes. But Hale in that movie just seemed so, like, like. I'll, I'll read the quote. I'll read the quote. Okay. <laughs> it starts out with problems. <laughs> he, he goes, <laughs> one of our problems was there were so many characters and so much story. It was a case of taking all this material and condensing it down into one story that we could put on screen. He actually said in this actual promotional video, he was just talking about the film's problems. Usually when someone gets in there, they want to go hype up the movie and be like, hey, look what we've got going. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, well, let me tell you about the problems this movie is having right now.
0: Right. Man. Well, I mean... But he walked into the problems, you know what I mean? So that's all yeah. he knew of the movie.
1: But still, when you're doing a promotional video for Disney that every like all Disney fans are going to watch, you don't want to start like talking about the film's problems. Nope. Keep He's that triggered. to yourself. Let everybody yeah. know the film's just fine and we're doing a great job.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's just not who Hale is. He just does what he wants.
1: Yes, that is true. In 2015, there was actually a screening and Q&A of the movie. Uh-huh. And he talked about shooting the film in that Super 70 Technorama aspect of it. One of the things, it, it, like you were talking about, when you're saying hell just like came into this uh, situation of development of this movie, one of the things that he didn't have a say on was the fact that the movie was being shot in this Super 70 Technorama. Uh Like, that was a decision that was made before he came on board. And that is a very expensive and difficult way to bring to life an animated film. This was something that he just kind of walked into and had to deal with it. Right. So on top of Joe Hale, there were a couple of other legendary Disney animators that. Worked on this movie as well. Ron Clements and John Musker. These guys would go on to direct films such as The Little Mermaid and Moana. And this is the movie where they forged their partnership The Black Cauldron. That's where these guys met. That's where they got these guys started to collaborate with each other. When they were working on it, they did not agree on where the story was headed. Mm-hmm. And They made their voices heard, and so they actually basically were, like, exiled (laughs) during the production of the film. Musker said in an interview, We were the odd men out, along with a few other people who wanted the story and the characters to go in a certain way, and the people in charge didn't see it that way. It was very frustrating. He later said, We were basically banished from the movie. Wow.
0: Well, you would think that you would go to these people that you're trusting to make the movie, uh, let them help you guide right? where it needs to go.
1: It's like these people. It's just crazy to me how close-minded people these people were. Because it's like if a good idea is a good idea, it's a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. And a thing if they have a if they have a way to like approach something that would make the film better, why wouldn't they listen to them? That's what's crazy. Like people need to listen. Because right. there are great ideas out there from people you might not think have great ideas. Well, I mean, you, just, you look at, so
0: you have already Don Bluth. He took off. Yeah. Uh, Ron Clements and John Musker. There's another really big name that helped work on this that left the production.
1: It's true. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we get to that, Musker and Clements, once they were exiled from the project, they put their attention into a little Disney film called The Great Mouse Detective, which would be their first directorial debut.
0: Great movie. Yep. I love The Great Mouse Detective. So fun.
1: And now you can say the name of the person that you were just talking about.
0: Yes. The one and only Tim Burton Yes, hands in this project.
1: It's crazy to think that Tim Burton used to just be this Artist, animation, character, designer at Walt Disney Studios. That's how he started his career. I'm sure most of you already know this. But it's still fun to talk about because look what this guy has done with his life. He has made some amazingly cool and visually stunning and dark, crazy, weird movies that people love watching. Right. And it's just crazy to me that it, he got a start at Disney, but it was the Black Cauldron that drove him away. <laughs> yeah? I mean, it drove him to quit. Right. Uh, one of the animators who was brought on board to work directly with Burton on the Black Cauldron was Andreas Deja, who also went on to work on films such as Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. She explained when she talked about her experience working with Burton and the other the rest of the team on the film. Deja explained, I remember what really broke Tim in the end when he said, I gotta get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> It was time to draw these monster birds. And I had done a lot of drawings of dragon type things and bat type things and all that. And then he had this idea of flying hands. So you had a hand and he put an eyeball here and then an eyeball there in between the knuckles. And it had a bat tail. Tim Burton also wanted to incorporate minions of the Horn King that were a lot like face from the Alien film franchise. And you could actually see samples of his work on that, on uh, Disney's uh, DVD release of the movie from the year 2000. Crazy. Uh, yeah. Now, when... Burton presented this work, these character designs he came up with, most people at the studio were like, this is incredible. This is exactly what we need. This is great. Everyone's so enthusiastic about it. But then you've got the Disney management, the old school guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, and I quote, well, This seems like something in Yellow Submarine, and we're not doing Yellow Submarine, so we're not going to do this. And Tim just left. (laughs) Peace out. Tim's like, I'm gone. I'm done. (laughs) Nice. And as you know, Burton went on to direct the stop-motion animated short Vincent, which ended up being Frankenweenie, and a kung fu interpretation of... Hansel and Gretel for the Disney Channel. That only aired one time. Oh, no. At 1030 at night on Halloween night in 1983. Wow. By the end of the decade, though, he went from that, Hansel and Gretel, Mm -hmm. to making Batman in 1989.
0: So, he's fine. Yeah, he's all right. I think he'll be okay.
1: Leaving Disney might have been Burton's best decision. Right. At that time, yes,
0: it was It was his best decision.
1: It also probably was pretty scary. I imagine it's not uh, easy to quit a job and have to Straight figure out what to own. do next.
0: Right, exactly.
1: As we said earlier in the podcast, Disney didn't feel like they had the talent they needed to properly adapt the designs that were being created. Uh-huh. Milt Call, who was one of Walt's original nine, was turning in designs that were pretty much like his older work that he did on those earlier Disney movies. So the dragon-type characters in the film looked like vultures from the Jungle Book. The witches that showed up were basically copies of Madame Mim from The Sword and the Stone and Medusa from The Rescuers.
0: Oh,
1: man. So he was just doing his... Doing okay. his old stuff and just bringing it into this, Deja, the 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 guy who worked with Tim Burton said his designs for the Horn King were unusable. Milt had a strange version. He looked like a policeman as a mummy. It was kind of odd.
0: Well, yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that because I love the design of the Horn King. Dude,
1: the what they came up with the the Horn King was so great because it was so dark okay. and so creepy. It. I loved how they kept his face in the shadows through most of the movie. And you just saw those eyes, right? Uh And then it's crazy because, you know, we're talking, how we were talking about earlier, how there's like different aspects of the film that had different looks and different tones and stuff like that. At, Uh At the end of the film, you start to see more of his face and he doesn't look as menacing as he did at certain parts earlier in the film and his eyes were bigger and he was doing different things and it was really... It was really weird when I was watching this time. I'm like, he looked a lot scarier back then than he does right now. And he's supposed to look scary right now, but he doesn't. What is happening here?
0: He got really cartoony by the end of it. Yeah, he did. Especially with his demise at the end. It was like, what? Yeah. This, this guy's not going to go through all of this and then be taken out because he doesn't know how to keep his balance.
1: Give me a break. But there, you saw the movie. You know there's like a ton of designs that needed to to be done now all the designs that were done for this film Uh over the course of the production the character designs had to be signed off by 12 people and those character model sheets Uh they all needed 12 signatures on that model sheet so these things went through like this group of people that had to be like yes yes Yes. If you got one that was like no, they'd have to like change it and then you have to go through the process all over again. It seems like such a tedious and like crazy thing to go through. <laughs> that just seems like a lot. No 12 people aren't all going to agree on the same thing. It just Exactly. Ugh. Exactly. I mean, this is this is what they were dealing with though, you know? <laughs> over the course of the production more animators were fired or quit. There was never a unification of the team. So people were just walking away from this thing. Han said we would have screenings and it would almost play like a spoof of a movie. It was generational. It was guys in the latter part of their career and new guys who wanted to do cool animation. It's why so many people jumped off to do the the great mouse detective because it was much cooler or john Lasseter jumped off to uh, investigate computer animation yes john Lasseter also worked on this movie and then left Good grief. to to you know create pixar right there you <laughs> go yeah there were so many people leaving or getting fired that effects animator dave borsett went to Han to ask him when he was going to be fired <laughs> Like, it was just like no one knew if they were going to be able to keep their jobs. So he, he said, he, he kind of, like, talked about this experience, and I said, hey, can you give me an idea of when I'm going to be let go? I want to plan my summer. <laughs> he says, I was single, uh, living in Marina del Rey. I, I'd worked all this overtime and made all this money. I figured I'd spend the summer on the beach and figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And he says, Don looked at me and said, we're not letting you go. Dang it. But like he thought, like, he's like, when when am I going to get fired? Everyone else is getting fired. When is, when right. is it my turn? Cause exactly. obviously the, the statistics are telling me that I'm out. It's exactly. going to happen. He had
0: no other reason to think anything else.
1: And things got so crazy. And the, cause, because so many people quit and left there wasn't enough people to help complete the work that needed to be done. So there was like a ton of cell painting that needed to happen. And since so many people left and not enough people were around to actually be able to do the cell painting, they had to hire a studio in Korea to help finish the film in time. When talking about that, Han says, it was kind of a disaster. We had to <laughs> ship these huge boxes of cells in huge wooden crates to Korea and back again and shoot them in Los Angeles.
0: That's crazy.
1: I, I just, it's like... It's, and, and it's almost like they created this problem. It's like a problem that didn't have to exist in the first place. It could have been fixed with decent management. Right, but not wanted to do it. Yeah, they just didn't have it. Right. So... During the production, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Walt Disney Productions got a whole new executive change. Oh, great. Top of the top. This is the time where Michael Eisner came on board Uh with Frank Wells. Uh, Eisner brought Jeffrey Katzenberg with him. And Katzenberg came on to oversee the film output of the studio, including... Animation none of these guys had any experience with animation before. They oh, put great. Katzenberg in charge, and Katzenberg had no idea what he was doing with animation. He treated it like it was regular like it was a regular film. You learned quick right. That that's just not how it works. Man. Deja when talking about bringing this new team on, Deja said. They were being educated on a fast track on how animation works and how much it costs. They were in shock, both of them. I remember somebody had observed them coming out of a conference room saying, so it takes how long to make these things and it costs how much? With that tone of voice, that got back to the rest of the crew and it was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. This is going to be a live action studio only. This was the stuff they were used to. They're just going to do all live action movies. So the animators started making their backup plans when this word got out.
0: Oh, man.
1: And for Deja, he's like, I'm going to Blue Studio. And so he met with uh, Gary Goldman, showed him his portfolio, and he said, if things don't work out at Disney, come over here. So they were already making plans because... These guys came in, and they're just freaking out by what actually goes into making movies
0: I mean, how can you put guys that have no experience in
1: that realm but they just that's that's just how it worked though I mean these guys came in now when these guys came in, they were like the first outsiders to come into Disney that was not right. part of Disney like it you know what I mean like these were. It was corporate now. When they brought in these guys, Disney went full-on corporate. Like I said before, when they were making this, it was kind of like they were still like a startup trying to like keep pumping out movies and hoping that they would keep doing it. So this is the first time with these guys coming on board that it kind of turned into this whole new thing. Right. Katzenberg... Screened the nearly completed movie and was appalled by its darkness and graphic nature. What? Katzenberg watching is like, no. Graphic nature. What was he watching? Skeletons, dude. Bringing skeletons to life is graphic. I guess it's skeletons coming to life and like mm-hmm. lurking in the dark, like that was awesome as a kid. Like, why wouldn't you want to see that? Ah, mm-hmm. well. We know why. I mean, we get into like some of these parent screenings and stuff with parents walking out of the movie right. with their kids, which is just crazy to me because it's not that bad. But I guess it was the 80s and Dungeons and Dragons was of the devil. And so maybe this movie was like of the devil. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. Anyway, Katzenberg was a dork back then. Uh, we're talking about Katzenberg. Han said. He went into editorial, and he didn't really have a full understanding of animation at that point. Uh, one of the other animators added, it was right at the end, and that was Jeffrey saying, let me see the outtakes so I can recut this. So Han says, you don't have other shots that you would like with live action. When he realized that any cutting he did would require doing new animated scenes to hook things together, the cost of that ballooned a bit and they decided not to go forward with that and just left it the way it is. But they didn't really leave it the way it is. There was stuff cut from the film. Katzenberg uh, did have the movie brought into an edit bay and he just started editing it. Hell, With the Michael Eisner was like, hey, Katzenberg's like cutting this movie up, man. (laughs) He's just kind of doing his own thing. And then Eisner ended up getting Katzenberg in the editing room and he convinced them to stop. And while he did what Eisner asked him to do, Katzenberg requested that the movie be modified and there was a compromise deal reached. That compromise is he wanted 10 minutes cut from the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how much he wanted. And uh twelve minutes ended up being cut from the film. And it's at this time because they wanted to f- fix this and he wanted like all this scary stuff to be removed from the movie. This is the point where the movie was pushed from Christmas nineteen eighty four to July of nineteen eighty five. Gotcha. So that the movie could be reworked. Some of the th- some of the scenes he cut included a gruesome sequence where one of the cauldron born skeleton ghouls attacks a human soldier and then there are just a few of the other moments that that he felt were just too grim for the movie and it's explained that that all these cutting just made all this cutting just made the movie choppy and just made it not work even more so they already had issues and then Katzenberg comes in starts chopping the the footage up, and then we get what we got. Right. And you know who Roy Disney is, right, Billy? Oh, of course. Walt Disney's brother. So he had been away from the company for a while. But when Eisner, Katzenberg, and Wells came on board, he also came back on board to be a member of the board. He wanted to be back involved with the company to help Keep Walt's legacy alive, and to have someone within the Disney family there helping run things. So he returned to the Disney board after leaving at some point in the late '70s. So he came in the like when, like I said, when Catsburg came in. So he came back uh, a decade later to help out. Uh And when he came back, he teamed up with producer Joe Hale. Uh-huh. To try and give Katzenberg what he wanted, so that so that ten minutes of editing, the ten minutes being cut from the film, they tried to do this in an effective way. As I said before, the twelve minutes that were cut from the film included extended scenes of Taron and his friends fighting their way out of the castle. There were multiple instances of extended dialogue from Fludor Flam. And the most well-known deleted scene, due to a clumsy jump it left in the soundtrack and several cells of the infamous scene appearing online, is that of a man being mauled by one of the cauldron-born, which causes him to form horrifically detailed lacerations and boils before he rots away and becomes one of the cauldron-born. What's wrong with that, Billy? I see nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: But apparently it made Jeffrey Katzenberg really scared.
1: It did. It scared Katzenberg, for sure. <laughs>
0: he wasn't ready for it.
1: I, you know, I I do wonder how kids would have taken that. I probably would have loved it because I, I always, you know, gravitated for weird, dark... Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. But, I mean, skeletons must have been... Skeletons were too much for some people at the time anyway. Um, other deleted scenes, including an opening scene with the Horn King riding on a horse near a village... Taryn cuts his lip at one point as he attempts to run after Henwyn and the hero is attempting to destroy the Black Cauldron once receiving it from the witches. Right. So, I, you know, after watching the movie again, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of other stuff that I would have rather seen cut from the film. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's some weird scenes.
1: Like, you know, think- there's, this, there's this really silly apple scene between the kid and Gergie. Remember that apple scene? They just yeah. like seem to drag on forever.:
0: his, his crunching and munchings:
1: His crunching and munchings.
0: Yeah, well, they had to introduce Gurgi
1: somehow.: It's true you know what I mean. That's, while we're on the subject of Gurgi uh-huh. The guy had such depressing scenes in the movie, right?: Yeah, Holy absolutely.
0: crap. Yeah, I mean, he was a self-loathing thing. We don't even know what he is yet.
1: Dude, there's that point in the movie where he's like, Gargi, not let friend die. Terran has many friends. Gargi has no friends. Yep. <laughs> Goodbye, <laughs> cruel world. Then he jumps
0: in the dang cauldron. Then he jumps in the cauldron. My goodness, man! I don't even know if that was Gargi's voice. No, that was close enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I understand where you're coming <laughs> it was, from. It
1: was so but i was like oh man that's uh that's very depressing right and then there were interesting scenes in the movie <laughs> i don't so there was a lot of breast play in this movie a lot of breast jokes
0: there were and I... like I, the original dancer in the bar was just showing off everything under her
1: skirt everything under her skirt i was like they what? left they left that in and then you've got Fluter with the with one of the witches, and she's just like rubbing his face right in the middle of her bosom, and it's like there forever. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and he ends up getting lost in there. She doesn't even know where he is. I know There's with a the frog.
1: frog once he turns into a frog. Right. Oh my gosh, I was just like, they cut horror stuff, but they let this stuff stay in. Like, right. This is this is a little bit more disturbing, I think. For kids, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, they, that's what I'm saying. It's just
0: the things they cut were weird. Like I've seen the the YouTube video of all the stuff that was cut.
1: Oh, you and... you did watch it? Okay, I was yeah. I was about to ask you if you've seen any of that. I yeah, yeah I, I have too.
0: Um, the cut lip when the dragon steals Henwyn. I don't know why that needed to be cut. That's ridiculous. It
1: I think amazing. it might have just been something that they felt like Katzberg was like you need to cut. Ten minutes, and so that's one thing that just got cut because they felt that maybe it didn't need to be in there, but, but I'll tell uh, you what that one scene with uh with the guy forming lacerations and boils and rotting away to become a cauldron born yeah that that should have stayed in that was cool there, as there was hand, dude. there was no reason to cut that at all no none
0: I thought it was good it it, it would have impressed everybody how dangerous the cauldron born were
1: but But had they kept that in, Uh had they not made the last-minute decisions to to cut those things, Mm -hmm. the movie would have been rated PG-13. Really? Wow. Okay. Well, they they, and this is this is one of the things I read. Okay. Okay. It said had it not gone, and I'm saying PG-13. Mm -hmm. But this is saying, had it not gone through many last-minute drastic changes, the movie would have held the distinction of being the only full-length Disney animated movie and the first movie released under the Walt Disney Pictures banner to be rated either PG-13 or R. What?! They they made sure to add the R, and I'm like, I don't know. I've seen that cut footage. I don't think that would take it to an R level. No, dumb. Uh, like
0: probably for the chick's boobs hanging out and the girl twirling around in her underwear, maybe, <laughs> but not because of those scenes. Those scenes, uh, people are dumb.
1: However, mm-hmm. the movie. The final cut of the movie ended up receiving a PG thir- uh, ended up receiving a PG rating from the MPAA. And it makes it the first Disney animated movie to get that rating. Everything else was G, which is crazy to me because I'm like, have you seen some of those other movies? They're terrifying. Mufasa gets trampled by other animals. Even before this, though, like when Disney. I know, I'm just Those saying. first Disney animated films were super dark. Right. They were, they, some aspects were jet black. I mean, the final sequence of Snow White was, like, terrifying as a kid. Right. Like, that was more scary to me than anything I saw in the Black Cauldron. Cruella watching lump, make puppies into in coats. Was it lump, Lumpwick or Lampy? Who's the kid in, in Pinocchio? Lamp, Lampwick, it's Lampwick. Lampwick,
0: okay, there we go.
1: And that scene where Lampwick is freaking turning into a donkey, that gave me nightmares. I still watch that to this day, and I'm like, holy crap, that is frightening. That is terrifying.
0: Just think if you had to watch that, like, Pinocchio's perspective, this kid just turned
1: into a donkey right in front of your face. That's scarier than, like, lacerations and boils. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah, whatever. Whatever they,
0: Katzenberg just—he's too sensitive.
1: Yeah, but anyway, that was that was the only PG-rated Disney movie up until the point they released Dinosaur in 2000. I still I mean, don't in all know those September. films in between, right? All G.
0: All G. The duck. T-
1: Once the movie was edited and Katzenberg got his way and had 12 minutes cut from the movie, the studio was finally able to get behind the Black Cauldron. They were finally able to get in there and be happy with what they created. And you can thank Roy Disney for that. Roy is a lover of animation. He's been there from the beginning with the old guard. And he wanted to keep that alive, and I think his enthusiasm for the film helped uh, get the rest of the new executive team behind it. Okay. And luckily, they decided to like stick with animation. I mean, it. They really were at one point were seriously considering just shutting the animation unit down. Right. At one point, Katzerberg, is just. Crazy things, right? Because this is this is where things are like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? At one point, Katzenberg just let everyone go who worked on the movie. <laughs> all the at least all of the leadership and the management, right? Okay, just let that just let sense. them go. The building where the animators were working on the Black Cauldron, they basically converted those into offices for production companies for the live action movies. Okay, it's the time where. The Disney Animation Studios was getting kicked off the lot into a rambling industrial park down the street. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. We're talking about that. Han said, we didn't move Cauldron to the new studio in Glendale, but still there was a sense that once this movie is over, we're out of here. And that didn't help the morale at all. And why would it help the morale?
0: Right, wow, they're looking to get rid of everybody. In yeah,
1: America. they were just like, of course Never it'd done. be a scary situation. hmm So, the movie's completed. The studio gets behind it. Everybody is, well, I can't say everybody's happy because a lot of people are not happy. A lot of people left and quit or were fired, and it was just a horrible situation for several people. But the movie wow. did... End up getting completed and it did end up getting released. But before it was released, they were screening it for test audiences. Uh How do you think those went? So good. So good. So good. When Disney started having screenings for the public at the studio theater, right? They they had these public screenings at the studio theater. They wanted to get reactions from of the rough cut of the film. They wanted to see how this was gonna play. And one of the animators knew that the undead section of the film was going to rub audiences in the wrong way. Like, of course, they weren't—they weren't, they weren't going to like be on board with that. They're not ready. They're—they <laughs> they were not ready. People bringing their kids to this movie did not expect to see a bunch of rotting corpses slowly fermenting. So <laughs> when the movie actually reached the undead sections of the film close to the end, the last 30 minutes, which was like the best part of the movie for me. Right. The doors opened and a mother was angrily already leaving the theater with her two kids crying because it was so scary. Oh, she was followed man. by another person. There was soon this huge exodus out of the theater of crying kids and their upset parents. Oh, geez. So, if you can imagine... Mm-hmm. The undead sections were cut.
0: People are just too
1: sensitive. They should have stuck around for the end of the film when the Horn King had his flesh ripped off of his bones while he was being sucked into the cauldron. They would have loved that.
0: That was way, that was way easier to swallow than all the corpses walking around.
1: Man. Psh. That part was cool. I love that part.
0: I was, was just great. like, whoa. Trying so hard not to get sucked
1: in there. It sucked his skin off. It's awesome. <laughs> yep. Oh, That's the best part. My goodness. I loved the Horn King. and It was in that scene, too, where that his face started looking different. He had the big eyes and stuff like that, right? That's where things started to like, get weird for the Horn King. But... I loved, I still, I still enjoyed that scene. I was like, at least yeah. they kept that in.
0: Well, I don't think they could have done it any other way because they already had it all animated. So that was what they had is what they got.
1: Yeah. Just a few other little tidbits. That's kind of like the main history. So I'm just going to go through and give a few other little tidbits about the film. Sounds good. But you can see kind of the disaster that this movie went through to get made. And now you mm. can watch it again and like have this understanding of why things are the way they are in the movie
0: right exactly
1: i really wish i could see a completed film like a director's kind of what was originally envisioned because they had it all done it was done all those scenes were available and they just cut them but it's never been restored to what it could have been in the end Ah, uh, the final budget for the film ended up being forty-four million dollars, making it the most expensive animated film at the time ever. Huh. The movie only made twenty-one million domestically. Oh no! It was outperformed by another animated movie that came out at the same time. Oh, uh-huh. the Care Bears movie. Wow. The Black Cauldron got beat out by the Care Bears movie. Well, they're pretty tough, man. I mean, I wouldn't want to go up against them. I would. Any day. During the beginning of the film, when Dablin uses uh, Henwin's magic to find the Horn King, the first image that appears in the water was a recycled section from The Night on Bald Mountain, which is a sequence from Fantasia from 1940. Crazy. I'm sure you, if you are a Disney fan, I'm sure you caught that.
0: Yeah, paying attention. little Easter egg in there.
1: This movie is also notable to be the first full-length Disney animated movie to incorporate CGI in its animation. Uh-huh. This is basically utilized for a lot of the special effect shots, uh, including the bubbles, a boat, a floating orb of light, uh, the cauldron, the realistic flames we see near the end of the movie, and uh-huh. the boat that Taryn and his friends used to escape the castle. Right. So, that was kind of cool. Got to start CGI somewhere. Right. And I mean...
0: It worked for this one because they actually used it really well. It didn't seem like out of place
1: what they used it for. So I've been wondering why the movie has not been refurbished or all that old footage that was cut, you know, like getting some kind of like director's cut, like the original cut of the film re-released because all that footage existed at one point. So here's the reason why it didn't. In 2020, there was an interview with producer Don Hahn, who said Disney attempted to create a re-edited version of the film sometime in the early 1990s for a VHS release. However, the studio recruited Hahn and an editor to help improve the film, but they soon realized it was an impossible feat. Hahn said, we tried, but we could only make it shorter. It just didn't work. After a while, you can't take the basic quality of what you have. It's trying to make a fine piece of furniture out of a flawed piece of wood. You whittle it and sand it down, and pretty soon there's nothing left. After it was made, as much as we tried, we couldn't do anything to reshape it. That's too bad. I mean... But it doesn't make... It's still, like, I see that. A re edited version. Why didn't they? What happened to that old footage? I haven't been able to find anything. On, like, why didn't they just bring back the 12 minutes of footage that was cut and just incorporate it back into the film? Here he's saying, like, we re edited it and they just kept cutting it down, cutting it down, cutting it down.
0: Because they can only use the film from the VHS. Like, if you watch those, w- we'll post the video of the stuff that was cut, but it wasn't finished. Like, there was no background. So they would have had to go back and I do the animation. So, yeah, I mean, they could only... Ah, uh, with... so frustrating. I know, right? It's upsetting because some of those scenes, uh, that one scene was really cool.
1: Yeah. Here's a cool tidbit of information I thought was cool. Varel. Okay. Bakshi, or Bakshi, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, he was approached to be involved with the movie in 1979 after a success of his own fantasy movie, Wizards. Which was released in nineteen seventy seven. Okay. And he also did the animated adaptation of The Lord of the Rings in nineteen seventy eight. But he turned it down because he thought his style was far too mature for a Disney movie for family entertainment. And let me tell you something. He dodged a bullet.
0: Yes, he did. Because that Cause he...
1: experience would have been that would have destroyed.
0: <laughs> right. But he's right. His like, if you've seen Wizards, or if you've seen that um, version of Lord of the Rings, it was way... Those films dark. are Holy so God.
1: good, though. Those films are so yes. good. And and his style would have worked perfectly for the subject matter of the Black Cauldron. It's like... But it would have made
0: Katzenberg's brain melt.
1: Well, not only Katzenberg, but the nine old men, like these guys, right? Yeah, it. They, they would have, have never dead. signed off on, on that kind of animation for this movie. It just would have been a nightmare. But... The thought of him doing that, like, I can imagine what that would look like. And The Black Cauldron would have been a far superior film because of his involvement. But, again, oh, didn't happen.
0: No. Would have, should have, could have. Yeah. Don't, don't put that in. That was crazy. <laughs> okay. My mouth, my mouth went nuts.
1: The Black Cauldron was the first Disney movie to feature the classic Walt Disney Pictures logo. The white castle and the text over the blue field. This Great. logo would be used until the new CGI logo was introduced with Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest in 2006.
0: That's crazy. Isn't that weird? Yeah, because I can see the blue logo in my head all the time.
1: I know. Yeah. Okay. In 2016, it was reported that Disney had once again purchased the movie rights to the Chronicles of Perdane. From the late Lloyd Alexander from from his estate, because you know, Lord of the Rings. Right, of Peter course. Jackson made Lord of the Rings and blew up the whole fantasy. You know, fantasy was amazing again. You had Harry Potter. It was just this. Everyone was like into this kind of stuff, but you know, they never they haven't done anything with it. They they. I just hope they do. They 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 obviously bought it, intended to adapt the entire five book series. Instead uh-huh. of just the standalone movie, which would, which would be great, but I don't know. There's been no word on how that is progressing, if it's even Wait. progressing at this time. Who knows?
0: I, Man, just the books are amazing, so they're really wasting a property if they don't use it.
1: Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. We'll see what Disney eventually does.
0: Yep, I'm excited.
1: There is an urban legend that, despite the movie's failure in the U.S., It was popular in Japan. So popular, in fact, that they say the creator of the Legend of Zelda series Mm -hmm. based a lot of the game's elements on the movie. That's an urban legend. That's just something that people are saying. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, no. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah. I mean, I can see it. I can see where they're going with it, but I mean, we'll leave it as urban legend at the moment. Maybe somebody can correct us.
1: When the Horn King activates the power of the Black Cauldron, the sound of the NASA space shuttle's solid rocket booster can be heard firing. That's cool. Yep. I mean, that's
0: a cool Easter egg. I mean, that's fun. That's fun.
1: Yeah. This is the first Disney movie to not have the end at the end of the movie. Instead, it just went straight from the final scene to the closing credits.
0: Which, that was the one thing. The the ending of that was so disconnected. I, I know.
1: You,
0: you see Durbin and one of the fair folk with Henwin in, in, what? And he was like, oh, we knew they could do it. So wait, he was working with them all along? What the shit? Whatever. <laughs> it so frustrating.
1: Then just expect us to accept that. Accepted, Billy. It's done. Okay, it's over. Okay, fine. Yeah, I accept it. All right. According to the summer 1985 issue of Disney News Magazine, over 2.5 million total drawings were used to make this film, Uh 1,000 conceptual, 75,000 story sketches, 22,000 layouts, 576,000 animators' drawings, 1,036,800 in-between drawings, 345,600 assistant animators' drawings, four hundred and sixty thousand eight hundred painted cells and all it took four hundred gallons of paint, fifteen thousand pencils, three hundred erasers, four hundred paint brushes and one thousand one hundred sixty five different hues and colors and over thirty four miles of film stock. What the hell? <laughs> With all that, you could, oh, that's what we got.
0: <laughs> oh, I feel like we're missing a lot out of this. I know. Okay. Four miles is a lot.
1: Let's see. Kellogg's released plastic models of eight of the characters free with their cornflake cereal. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you ever have any of those? I don't remember having no, any of those. I don't remember. I never that bought cornflakes. Cool. Who liked cornflakes? What kid ate cornflakes? There's no sugar in it. Right. Get out of here. Get out of here with your cornflakes. That's why they put the toys in there. They want you to buy it. I guess. Yeah. A video game of the same name was designed... What what? I played the shit you, out of that. You talked about that? What give me yes. give us your thoughts on the video game. So it was one of those
0: text-based video games that before the time the animation was fantastic on it. Okay? You know what I mean? Um it, it was on my old Atari computer. I don't know if you remember that thing, but I had that up until just a few years ago. Um it just didn't turn on anymore. I played that for hundreds of hours. Nice. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun if you like the old school text. See, based, I,
1: I never played the game.
0: Uh, yeah, I miss it. But yeah, it it was it was extremely difficult because you remember how that you know ask like it had the animation, but you had to like ask questions and you had to type in your questions and all that. It was it was fun, cool. Yeah.
1: Right. The character Creeper is an original character that was. Created for this movie. It doesn't appear in any of the books. And his design was based on Marvel Comics villain, the Green Goblin. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tiny version.
1: Tiny. Tiny childlike evil version of Green Goblin. Right. Toddler. I'd say toddler. Um, at one point in 1990, Disney test marketed a reissue of the film under a different title... Terran and the Magic Cauldron. Hmm. A terrible title, uh, but Poor it never it never received a wide release. They never, they never did that. Those, those test markets didn't work out. Right. The Black Cauldron is so much better. Terran and the Magic Cauldron. Yeah. Get out of here. Who yeah. are you? Black Cauldron was a perfect name for it. Lloyd Alexander's reaction to the film, while it bore little resemblance of the books, He still thought it was a quality story. Oh, he liked it. Oh, good. So, at least, you know, most of the time when an author watches a movie, they hate it. So, I think he was just happy. Right. A lot of work went into producing it and turned out what it did. Plus, he probably didn't have any idea of the drama that was going on behind the scenes. He just saw the finished product. He had no idea what was going on. Yeah. As far as the reviews go, Roger Ebert gave the movie three and a half stars out of four. Because it was a good movie. It was, and he called it a rip-roaring tale of swords and sorcery, evil and revenge, magic and pluck and luck. I like it. Yeah. That was really cool. I guess that's why he was so good at his job. Other reviews complimented it on its visuals, on the animation, uh, while finding faults in its story, sure. Uh, Some of those reviews, like, technically brilliant, though short on narrative, which is what was posted in the New York Post at the time. But it was still fun. And for the most part, it seems like people, like, there are people that enjoyed the movie, but there are also a lot of negative reviews too, but I'm not going to get into that.
0: Yeah, it's just people that were expecting Disney and not a new Disney.
1: Yeah. In 2015, Han hosted a sold-out screening at Disney's El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, where he reunited with a bunch of the team behind the Black Cauldron, including Hale, who was 90 years old at the time. That's freaking awesome. I wish I would have gone to that. I, I do, too. I actually remember when that was taking place. They get sold out pretty quick.
0: Oh, of course. Because it's that other the new generation where we can appreciate that kind of thing where like the, the boils aren't going to scare us away.
1: And that's it. That is our episode on Disney's The Black Cauldron. There is a ton of stuff to go through. It was a lot of fun learning the background of this. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know before uh doing the research on this. I always knew that it was a troubled production and it, you know, there's some great behind the scenes stories. Of of pain and suffering, but I didn't know that that's what it was until I kind of dove in uh, on, my, on my research for this. So I'm really happy I did because it was it was really interesting to learn. And I, they should make a movie. Like I said before, they should make a movie about this, the making of this movie.
0: Right. I'm just glad that Disney bought back the rights to the the story, so that maybe we can see a series one of these days. Because Joey and I were talking about this before we did the podcast, and I said. This would have worked so much better as a series instead yeah. of trying to cram it all into one story. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, it was fun. I, we hope you guys enjoyed it. So let us know what you think. If you've ever watched it if you haven't watched it, go do it.
1: Do you have any quotes, Billy?
0: Look, here's my thing. A lot of it didn't, like, a lot of the quotes don't really make sense, but um, <laughs> it, it it's just... Uh, there
1: was one that stuck out to me that i that i enjoyed because it was so funny and and depressing at the same time go cuz it comes from gurgi
0: oh yeah gurgi's got <laughs> his are crazy
1: oh poor miserable gurgi deserves fierce smackings and whackings on his poor tender head always left with no munchies and crunchies <laughs> That's my take on Gurgy. I know that doesn't sound anything like Gurgy, but that's what he sounds like in my head when I see. Right, and
0: he's just the Eeyore of the story. Yeah. That just puts the nail on the head. But yeah, so I don't really have many quotes from this movie. I just like the movie in amongst itself. I mean, I like the fact that um, the Horn King kind of realizes at that one point that he's, you know, got a ragtag team of imbeciles coming after him. But, I mean, that's about it. Anything Gergie says was hilarious because he's just so de- self-deprecating and ridiculous. But, yep. All right, guys. Well, we did it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast and listening to us talk about Disney's The Black Cauldron. It was a lot of fun talking about this movie. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at GT Secret Level. Interact with us. Leave us messages. Leave us reviews. Whatever podcast thing you're listening to us on, leave leave a five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews, and we're getting lots of five-star reviews, so bring it on. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. We love that.
0: Thank you, guys. We really appreciate your, your being partners with us on this ride, and we're going to keep going.
1: Yeah, more stuff coming, and also for all your movie and geek news, visit geektyrant.com. We cover it all. We got it all. We're always on top of everything that is happening in Hollywood. All right, everybody, take care of yourselves. Until next time, Joey Parr, Billy Fisher. Fisher. Signing off. What a bunch of blundering misfits! I
0: wasn't expecting that one
1: it just never works out when you're dealing with people (laughs) oh man you can go back to feeding pigs i've had it goodbye oh that took a dark turn